0: Oh, Tudor-minded people, it's Philadelphia Carry for Tudor Time Machine. The word I share with you this week is vizard. A lovely black velvet wizard is a most important item of a gentlewoman's wardrobe. As if I should be so rash as to face the sun's searing rays without my vizard to protect my gentlewoman's skin. Oh, accuse me not of such folly. During the hours of the bright sun, I don my vizard to keep my complexion, but when night falls, I put on my vizard too. It protects me from the wind and cold, and keeps my skin from becoming as cracked and blown about as an autumn leaf. My vizard also serves to cover my face when I would not be known. Oft-times my fellow ladies-in-waiting and I did disport ourselves by donning vizards at a court dance. We confounded our favourites by dissembling to be a different lady and led them such a merry trick. Sometimes I do admit, at court performance, I might don my visit to hide my yawns, if the piece bores
1: me. Oh, I could not do without my wizard. Wizard? How now, Tudor Files, what think you? If you're new here, I'm Gage. I'm Jessica. And we're here with Philadelphia Carey for Tudor Word of the Week. Don't miss a
0: word and listen to the Tudor Time Machine Story Project. How diverting!
1: Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. Files, thank you for listening. Every one of you has the wit of Rosalind and the heart of Cordelia. And thank you for writing to Philadelphia on YouTube and suggesting words. We
0: love your suggestions, so keep them coming. How do you spell wizard, Philadelphia?
1: It is spelled V-I-Z-A-R-D. And a visard was a type of mask worn by women in the 15th and 16th century. And it very much helped them keep warm, for one thing. But it actually covered their whole face. It had holes for the eyes that were actually cut in the shape of eyes. And it had a case for the nose. And it had a slit for the mouth that you could talk through. It sounds a little like a 16th century ski mask.
0: (laughs) Except it didn't go like over your head. You didn't pull it over your head because that maybe wouldn't look so elegant. The wizard could be taken on or off really quickly because it was held on by a round bead fastened on the inside
1: over against the mouth. And that bead was held in by the teeth. That sounds so bizarre and hard on the teeth as well. Also, it must have been difficult to talk with the mask on Tis so, but that
0: adds to the delight of the visit. One's silence adds to the mystery of one's true identity.
1: Well, I guess that's true, but it must be disconcerting for the other person trying to communicate with you. Oh, it is.
0: I do so love to watch from my eye holes as a gentleman with whom I am dancing makes a silly ass of himself. As he smirks and grimaces, I remain stony silent and undetected.
1: Okay, that does not seem very nice to me. Love is cruel and a game to be played for the highest stakes. To be
0: wooed is delightful. To be pursued and leave one's lover in confusion and distress is an ecstasy. To be unmasked and won
1: puts me in a dreary drumble. Wow. Well, the play that our word of the week comes from is a Shakespearean play, and it's all about the pursuit of love. And at the end of the play, no lady is won, so no dreary-drumble, Philadelphia. And that's why this play is called Love's Labour's Lost.
0: Oh, I do love this one of Master Shakespeare's works. I was one of those ladies who accompanied Her Majesty to the Inns of Court to see the play performed.
1: I read that the play was performed in 1598, as you say, Philadelphia, And it was performed at the inns of court. So basically for an audience of lawyers and law students and courtiers like yourself, and that there's no record of it ever being done at the Globe or the Blackfriars or for any kind of wider audience or a more public performance. My dear Cage, the play has a simple plot, but it is full of verbal wit and
0: linguistic sparring and would not have pleased the groundlings of the Globe. They would have been bewildered, not amused. Such a snob, Philadelphia. I do admit it. I shall wear my haughty rank with pride and hide it not under a vizard. My gosh. Okay, Philadelphia is being snobbish. That's true. But I do kind of see that love's labor's lost is a very wordy affair. I mean, basically the plot, what there is of it, is that this young king of Navarre and three of his bros take a vow that they will sequester themselves for a year and devote themselves only to study. And they promise to avoid the society of women, which of course lasts for about 10 minutes into the play because the princess of France shows up on a diplomatic mission to the new king and he can't ignore her because that would be very bad for him politically. And she turns out to be very beautiful, of course. And she just happens to bring the exact right number of lovely maids of honor with her
1: for the three bro friends of the King of Navarre. And and the young men desperately try to keep themselves from falling in love with these fantastic young ladies. Yet it is impossible, and they cannot. And so they begin to woo them with
0: flowery phrases and overwrought verses, and the ladies ridicule them with their own linguistic wit. Then the ladies disguise themselves in visits to confuse the gentlemen, and the gentlemen then retaliate by disguising themselves in visits, and they pretend to be a diplomatic deputation from Moscow, and they do a Moscovite dance
1: to Moscovite music, and it is all very amusing. So then, in the midst of all this verbal fun, the Princess of France gets terrible news. She learns that her father has died and that she must immediately return to France.
0: And the king begs her to accept his hand in marriage. But the princess and all her ladies say the gentlemen must keep their oath. They must wait a twelve-month to woo again. And this time, they must woo in less flowery fashion. Then they will all be married, if all still agree.
1: It's an interesting end for a Shakespearean play. There's no clear resolution. There's no return to order. None of the things we usually see at the end of a Shakespearean play.
0: No, there's no wedding or a funeral. No uh, coupling or death. And to me, also, the characters of the Lady Rosalind and the courtier, Lord Brienne, really struck me. They're both so intelligent and so witty. Basically, they're Beatrice and Benedict from Much Ado About Nothing, but actually the word play in Love's Labour's Lost is even more sophisticated and complicated between them than it is between Beatrice and Benedict,
1: which kind of surprised
0: me when I read the play.
1: It also struck me that in Love's Labour's Lost, Shakespeare gives the best lines, the most charged verbal sparring to the best friends of the royal couple, couple two, as it were, not to the king and the princess, couple one, as it were.
0: The good Lord Baron is my most particular favourite. In one of the last scenes of the play, after the gentlemen have dressed up as Moscovites and been discovered by the ladies, he vows to woo his mistress Rosaline in more plain speaking. Rosaline mocks him thus. Help! Hold his brows, he'll swoon. Why, look you pale. Seasick, I think, coming from Moscovy. And he replies... Thus pour the stars down plagues for perjury. Can any face of brass hold longer out? Here stand I, lady, dart thy skill at me, bruise me with scorn, confound me with a flout, thrust thy sharp wit quite through my ignorance. Cut me to pieces with thy keen conceit, and I will wish thee never more to dance, nor never more in Russian habit wait. Oh, never will I trust to speeches penned, nor to the motion of a schoolboy's tongue, nor never come in visit to my friend, nor woo in rhyme like a blind harper's song. Taffeta phrases, silken terms precise, three piled hyperboles, spruce affectation, figures pedantical, these summer flies have blown me full of maggot ostentation. I do forswear them, and I here protest by this white glove. How white the hand, God knows. Henceforth, my wooing mind shall be expressed in russet yeas and honest cursy nose. And to begin, wench, so help me, law, my love to thee is sound,
1: sands crack or flaw. That is a great speech. And he uses our word of the week, wizard. I really love, have blown me full of maggot ostentation. It kind of surprises me that the gentlemen dress up as Moscovites. It seems sort of random. It does, but actually there was a lot of back and forth between the Russians and the English at this point. As a non-Catholic country, Elizabeth was able to make trade inroads with Russia because they were Orthodox Christian and they didn't recognize the Pope in Rome. Oh, this is true. There were many Muscovites
0: at court, and what costumes they wore. They were quite delightful, with their big furry hats. My queen was driven by the pope's hatred of her to find
1: friends among the anti-papists. Oh, let's not say anti-papists, Philadelphia. But that is the bon mot. It's not a term we currently use. Well, language changes, thank goodness. It does. And actually, I think that's one of the reasons Love's Labor's Lost is not often performed now. It's so language-based, and audiences might find it boring. I mean, there really is no plot, as we said, and there's really also no action. It's all words and wordplay, and it's hard to bring it alive for a modern audience. That is a shame. To tire of the witty banter or the sweet words
0: of a lord baron? I would never don a visit to hide my yawns at such a play as love's Labours lost. So give heed to defiles, Be a witty wordsmith. Bring some 16th century sauce to your vocabulary with visit. Listen in next time. Don't miss a word. Subscribe on YouTube and give me a like. <laughs>